Welcome into the Padres East Village Times podcast, episode 168. Dominic Stern, Sammy Benbow, no James Clark for you today. Uh, he's out. He's busy. Uh, we had this interview lined up last week, but we had to postpone it due to some uh, some prior conflicts. But uh, as you saw when you clicked on the episode, Keith Law, uh, senior baseball writer for The Athletic, going to talk about his top 20 Padres prospects. We'll also talk about Manny Machado with him because we feel like that's a uh, Important enough to go a little bit off of what he really focuses on, but senior baseball writer, I mean, he, he's very well in the know and he's very well sourced. So I feel like we can talk about that with him. Sammy, how are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing well. And I'm excited that we get to talk to Keith. You know, he has a wealth of prospect knowledge. And I think for many Padres fans, he's a well-known name just because for so many years we were focused on prospects for so long as Padres fans, as opposed to the major league product. And you know, even up into today, even up into 2023, there uh, are still a few intriguing names that we're going to discuss with him. And I'm I'm looking forward to getting into this into the discussion with him because you know there were a couple of discrepancies that I noticed from his list versus some other major baseball lists. And it, it'll always be interesting to hear his thoughts because Keith's a well-respected guy in the baseball community. And so I'm I'm looking forward to talking with him. It should be a good conversation. Yeah, I think that's the fun of it and talking to these prospects evaluators we've talked to Kyle Glazer before we've talked to Eric Loggenhagen uh we, we've talked to people at baseball prospectus uh, we've talked to everyone all over uh so I, I think it's really cool Keith is uh as well respected as any one of those guys and yeah like you mentioned those those differences make it really fun so without further ado let's bring in our guest senior baseball writer of the athletic Keith Law and we'll have his list uh linked in the podcast episode and on eastvillagetimes.com in the podcast thing so you can access the list while you listen and you can read about what he wrote while also listening to him. We now welcome in Keith law to the Padres East fullest times podcast, Keith, uh, not your first time. We appreciate you uh, joining us once again. How are you doing today on this fine Tuesday? I'm good. Thanks. How about you guys? We're doing good. And so obviously you're the main prospect writer for the athletic. We're going to get into that. We have several questions. We want to ask you about that, but the main Padres news this week has been in the regards to Manny Machado and his contract situation. Before we jump into Padres prospects, uh, what do you make that whole situation with Manny Machado? Well, it's expected, right? I think they probably expected this when they signed him to the contract in that, especially if he was anywhere near the player they thought they were getting, which he has been very much, um, that he would probably end up opting out. I wonder if to some extent they're sort of counting on it, financially speaking, that it allowed them to do a lot of other things. I also just, just a guess, think Machado is probably going to end up going to free agency, which doesn't mean he doesn't come back, but I, if I had to bet, I would say he ends up getting to free agency this fall rather than signing some kind of extension. I'm sure they'll try. I'm sure they'll continue to try. But based on him, his agents, I, my guess is he's going to go for the max dollars, as he should. I am fully in favor of players doing that anytime they get the opportunity. Yeah, yeah I, I think we kind of expected that. You know, I think everyone's kind of anticipated that a little bit. And with that being said, it kind of takes us naturally into the Padres prospect rankings. Should Manny Machado leave, or even if he re-signs and re-ups with the Padres, um, a natural question is their top prospect is Jackson Merrill. He's someone mm -hmm. who's garnered a lot of interest since he got drafted. Um, I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on not only his ceiling, but maybe also the potential of him moving around positionally. Cause as you are well aware, the Padres have a glut of 
infielders, not just for this year, but for the foreseeable future. So I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on Merrill kind of as a player and, and what you might make of his future. And the problem they have is that the guy who's the best defensive shortstop, the one guy who's an above average defensive shortstop of all of their glut of infielders is the worst hitter of the entire group. And so to me, that creates a pretty clear path for Merrill to stay at the position. Um, I think he can. I have seen him a couple of games. I've talked to lots of guys who saw him. I saw him in the fall league. I talked to guys who saw him during the season. Obviously, talked to he's not you know, grew up, went to played high school baseball not far from my house. I know a lot of area guys here who had a lot of time with him. He's a shortstop. And I would be loath to consider moving him around, given who else is there, especially because I think we're, you know, we've sort of reached the point where Tatis is not probably not going to play shortstop much, if at all, going forward uh, with an eye towards keeping him healthy. And I'm fine with that. Although, you know, I thought he was capable at shortstop and could have been very good if he'd gone to third base, if they didn't have Machado. We're just not at that point anymore, right? Just I've got to let that go. And so do the Padres. And to me, also the trade of C.J. Abrams further kind of created this possibility. I think the emergence of Merrill as the prospect that he is now made it easier for them to part with Abrams to get one Soto because Merrill is a shortstop and is moving pretty quickly and looks pretty good. I don't think he's major league ready now. I think he's getting close. Um, I wouldn't be shocked if he debuted at the end of the season, but I also would be um, wouldn't be shocked if he didn't, right? If he just needed, they decided there's no point to adding him to the 40 man, bringing him up that soon. I just think he's, he's pretty advanced and um, you know, a big part of that. And I credit the Padres scouting staff too, for seeing the potential there where a lot of other folks didn't uh, is how much stronger he's gotten just since he was drafted too. There were a lot of questions about what kind of hitter he was going to be. And was there going to be any power or even enough strength to hit for average to get to consistent, better quality contact. And he has, I mean, his, he transformed his body when he showed up for spring training last year, I got texts from scout friends who were like, have you seen Jackson Merrill yet? And I hadn't even gotten Arizona, but they were like, this is a different guy. He went out and put on quite a bit of good weight that off season without losing anything at shortstop. So he's pretty exciting. It's why he went from not on my top 100 a year ago. And a, frankly, a first round pick, I did not say kind things about because the industry didn't see him as a first rounder to someone who now is a top 25 or so prospect in baseball and clearly was worth the first round pick. Yeah. You actually segued that perfectly into what I was about to ask you because he was drafted 27th overall, which to a lot mm -hmm. of people seem to reach. And that also opened the door to draft James Wood uh, in the following round and the following pick. And now he's already in less than a year and a half exceeded that draft pick in terms of your top 100 rankings, you've got him at number 20. And to me, when this pick was made, obviously there's a lot of skepticism as you just alluded to, but I, I said, I'm going to trust AJ Preller just because the one thing he's done extremely, extremely well has drafted, especially high schoolers. Do you think, I mean, this has got to be his best high school pick, don't you think? At least thus far. I guess if we're talking first rounders, yeah. Yes. I mean, heck, Wood may turn out to be one of the best picks because there were a lot of teams that took Wood off their boards completely because yeah. they were questioning the makeup, they were questioning the effort level. Um, I mean, I know multiple scouts who'd go for a weekend, see him strike out six times. You just don't see good high school prospects doing that. And yeah, I give Wood a lot of credit also in that he got into pro ball and you know showed. I, I know he. I happen to know he was aware of the comments about him too. So, no, no, no. I. 
I care. I, I'm going to play harder. I'm going to see, I'm going to make more visible effort, which is not entirely fair, right? You don't have to show me you play hard. You just have to actually play hard, but to do things that would make people realize more. No, he is actually showing effort. Um, Cause he's always been that kind of athlete, right? And it was sort of a joke. Even that spring, it's like, oh, it's the Padres pick, right? They're going to, obviously the Padres are going to draft him if they can, because that's such an AJ Preller type of prospect in the first place, but they were the ones who pulled the trigger. They were the ones who organized their draft a little bit to be able to do that and to bring him in and would, you know, he's got risk hitters, his size do not have a great track record. Certainly. And he's, you know, there's a long way for him to go in terms of his ability to continue to make contact as he moves up the ladder, but he's got a chance to be a superstar. So I guess maybe it would be more fair to just say, Hey, that draft class, those two guys together, that may turn out to be their best single draft hall. If you look at the value, obviously Wood's gone, but he was gone. He's gone for good reason. But you look at what those two guys are, are likely to return. And actually Gasser was Gasser in the same draft class or was he the year before? Now I'm drawing a blank, but I mean, they've traded up a, a, quite a bit of prospect talent from the last couple of drafts as well. And I always want to make sure we count that I may not show up in the farm system rankings, but let's not fail to consider that that's part of why you want a good farm system in the first place. Right. And, you know, kind of going off that, I wanted to move right down to the next guy on your list. And that's Sammy Zavala, who I think I was a little bit surprised to see you rank him that high. I'm kind of curious to get your thoughts on your rationale behind ranking him that high. Obviously, he signed out of, I believe it was Venezuela um, in January of 2021. He went right through the DSL. He performed really well in the complex league. They were aggressive with him. They, you know, put him in low a last year to end the season. Uh, I'm curious to get your thoughts on, you know, his ceiling. Obviously you think that he has a bit of a, a higher ceiling if you have him ranked so high. So, um, if you could shed a little bit of light on that. Yeah, it's the, it is the very widespread belief of, you know, the, the AZL or ACL, whatever we're calling it. We shouldn't call it that, right? That's the thing you tear in your knee. It's the ACL or the, or the Arizona rookie league. I'm glad. Thank you. Um, this he can hit, he can really hit. And so I'm, um, you know, I'm not trying to be kind of ahead of the curve necessarily, but if the industry of scouts who spent time out there are coming back saying this guy can really hit for such a young kid and he's not just hitting, but he's showing a good approach and he is hitting the ball hard, especially for someone so young, uh, particularly in terms of he doesn't chase. And obviously you hope that that continues to carry on up the ladder as he faces pitchers who can locate better, et cetera. But Hey, so far, so good. So far, really good. Um, and the fact that other teams are saying, you know, this is a guy we would, you know, it's a must acquire, you know, for us, if it should come up, because obviously everybody's always potentially tradable. If you're a Padres prospect that he's doing all of this at such a young age and garnering great reviews from scouts who are seeing him from folks in the office, R and D guys who are seeing a lot of the pitch data um, made me feel like, no, this is pretty clearly a top 100 guy. Like I don't, like I said, I'm not trying to, um, you know, it often comes up, oh, this guy was on this list and not on that list. You know, I'm friends with the other guys who do lists. It's not, this is really isn't a competition. At least I don't think it is. Maybe they do. But to me, it's, you know, if the industry is talking this guy up as if he's in that category, then I need to reflect that on the list. Even if I, in this case, I have not personally seen Zavala, only video, but the industry's view is what really directs my placement of a player like that. And then going next, we're going to talk about Dylan Lesko, who you have at three and your, your report on him. Cause obviously he hasn't pitched professionally for the Padres yet coming off of the torn, uh, UCL, not, not the ACL, mm -hmm. the UCL, yes. uh, and 
once again, we'll link the uh, the top 20 list uh, in the episode description, but you say in it that he will be a top 100 guy this time next year if he comes back and pitches healthy. What did you see in him when he was in high school before he got hurt that allowed you to put him in this spot? So I was at the outing where he got hurt. Um, me and half the industry it was at the NHSI tournament that they hold every year at the USA Baseball Complex in North Carolina. And hey, he was a main reason I was going there. And he was 92, 95. Everyone knew about the changeup going in, but the knock on him had been, he's really a guy in search of a good breaking ball. And then he busts out this, you know, upper seventies curveball with a 2,900 RPM spin rate, which is it. Look, that doesn't make it a plus curveball, but it's not a bad curveball. If you're generating that kind of rotation, it's not a bad curveball. Like this, this is silly that we're questioning whether this guy has a breaking ball. He can obviously spin it. Um, and if you can do that, there's probably a pretty good chance at some point down the road, someone can give him a slider too. Like, I, that's fine. And then the second, he doesn't even throw a changeup in the first inning. I believe it was the second inning, second or third batter. He throws his first changeup and the, I, I won't name the guy, but a veteran scout in front of me has been doing this longer than I have is laughing hard enough that he turns around so that the players can't see him because the pitch is just that good. And I have talked to a lot of scouts to say, who's the last high schooler you saw with a changeup like this. And the best answer I've come up with is Cole Hamels. I admit there's a little selection bias here, right? A lot of high schoolers just don't throw changeups because why would you, right? If you throw a 97, don't do the hitter a favor. When you have a Dylan Lesko changeup or a Cole Hamels changeup, you might as well use it. It's a seven. It is ridiculous. That pitch would come out. You could see major league starters throwing changeups like that any day. So for me, this is, does Lesko come back um, healthy? He doesn't have to come back this year. I think he will just given the timing of the surgery. Uh, he's about 10 months off of it right now ish. So he certainly could pitch in the AZL at some point this summer. Absolutely should pitch in instructs. And then we have to see where's the velocity. Hopefully the velocity comes all the way back. And does the curveball come all the way back? I'm not really worried about the changeup. I've never heard of a guy sort of leading the changeup on the operating table. And it also makes me less worried about him having Tommy John than I would for almost any other pitcher. Jay Groom, for example, who's now in the Padres system after a trade, did not get his curveball back after Tommy John's surgery. And that kind of sucks because he had an elite, like he had a seven curveball in high school. I saw it. So I'm still pretty bullish on Lesko. There are just certain benchmarks I would like to see. Make sure he comes back, like the majority of guys who have Tommy John surgery. If he does all that, whether he pitches in actual games or throws some sides and we see him in instructs, just like give me some proof of life here and he'll be a top 100 guy. That's as good and as safe a high school pitching prospect as I've probably seen in the last 10 years, acknowledging that none of them are safe just as a category. Yeah, those scouts yeah. clearly never watched my changeup in high school. That's that's what I'll say. <laughs> oh no, they did. You should hear what they said about it. <laughs> <laughs> I wanted to go a little further down the list because you did mention Jay Groom just now, and personally, he's someone that kind of intrigues me. Uh, mm -hmm. Obviously, he he was acquired from the Red Sox in exchange for Eric Hosmer, um, and, and so I, I mean he performed adequately in the PCL this, this past summer, he had an ERA just over yeah. three. He, you know, had, had some decent peripherals. I saw that you mentioned that the Padres have kind of had him shelve that curveball you mentioned for a slider. Um, I'm kind of interested to see what you think in terms of what his role could be, because as you mentioned, he's almost major league ready. He could provide a little bit of an impact maybe as a depth option. Um, kind of give your thoughts on that and maybe, you know, something that you see in him. 
I think you're exactly right. He's a depth starter for them right now. You know, he's probably seventh or eighth on the depth chart, depending on how you line up their extra guys, which is obviously always subjective and and could certainly change over the course of spring training. But I was really pleased to see that his uh, velocity ticked up after the trade. Because I saw Groom two weeks, three weeks before they got him. It was a Groom Kyle Harrison matchup. So it was great. Um, and Saddam Raffaello was in the lineup for the Red Sox double eighth club that day too. So it was good. And it made up for the fact that I hit horrendous traffic on both sides of the drive, which is very much like a tiny violin complaint, but still it happened. Um, and Groom was just kind of meh. It was, yeah, that guy probably is a fifth starter in the end, but I'm not excited at all. And then they get him over to, you know, they get him in the trade and it's obviously a pretty minor trade as these things go and the velocity ticks up. And I do think the decision to just finally hang up the curveball, no pun intended, is the right one. Uh, you know, it's lousy because we all saw it. I know all those Padres guys saw it. There was talk. They were trying to manipulate the draft to get groomed down to their second pick in that particular year. So we all remember it. But it's just not what it was. And so switching him to a slider, acknowledging he can still spin it okay. And with the increased velocity on the fastball, you're also seeing a little more power to the slider than he was ever going to have on the curveball. And he had done a fair bit of work in the Red Sox system to improve the changeup. It's a real three-pitch starter. Nothing's plus. Maybe the the slider ends up a 55, and he can miss some bats with it. But the fact that he's got stuff for left and right-handed hitters, he seems to throw be improving the control and you hope the command will just continue to just inch up. He's never going to be a plus command guy. I could see a fourth starter in the end, as opposed to just a depth guy. They may not necessarily need that guy this year um, as a fourth starter, but my guess is we see him make his major league debut. There's a couple spot starts or he gets some long relief work and we'll see where the stuff is too. It would be very interesting to see if they brought him up and had him do some your true long relief, two to four inning outings and see where the stuff is. Maybe it ticks up even a little bit more because he's not trying to, preserve himself for hundred pitches. And we see him more in that kind of bulk innings role that has emerged with certain clubs where you're not quite a starter, but you're not really a true reliever. And the goal is to try to get you hundred, 110 innings over the course of, of a full season in the majors. And we'll stay on the pitching topic just because a lot of the Padres top prospects, according to you are pitchers. Uh, you got mm -hmm. Snelling at four, Mazer at fifth, Lizarraga at six. Those guys all kind of stand out because they've been recent additions. And then at seven, you have Iriarte, but uh, speaking on Snelling and Mazer, who are both uh, draft picks this past draft in 2022. Mm -hmm. And then Lizarraga, who finally kind of had that first good year. Is there a sense that the Potters could start to begin to develop starting pitching because a lot of their guys, especially in the rotation right now, Darvish, not homegrown at all. Musgrove from Pittsburgh, Snell from Tampa, you know, the list goes on and on. Is there a sense that it could begin to become that way? I don't know because I feel like it is, um, it would be uh, a little irresponsible to assume that given their propensity to trade prospects. And I have no issue with the way they've done this, right? If you just develop a bunch of prospects to the point where you can trade them for major league ready help, like Darvish, like Musgrove. Okay. Snell hasn't really worked out, but that was the idea, but neither has Luis Patino either. So sure. That's great. That seems like an awesome strategy to me. I am completely on board with that. I think that Snelling might be the one you keep 
in the sense that he's just going to take way more time. He is a long, he actually to me is a longer runway guy, even than Lesko, even with the fact that Lesko is hurt and Snelling is not, because Snelling is a multi sport guy, less experience, not as good of a delivery, um, with a lot of different points to the delivery, too. And there's, I've pointed out in a lot of places, a lot of these um, quarterback turned pitchers do have a hard time because it's just kind of a completely different motion and it's different. You're really using somewhat different muscles um, between the two. And we've seen a lot of the guys like Zach Lee and Casey Kelly who throw hard, but never really quite figure it out in terms of being a complete pitcher. Um, and they're going to have to like Snelling doesn't have the third pitch right now. There's just a lot of reasons why Snelling is, you know, maybe five years to the big leagues where a healthy Lesko might be three years to the big leagues instead. And, you know, so that means Snelling probably doesn't have the same kind of trade value. Whereas Mazur to me was the guy where it's like this guy gets to double A at some point in his first full season in the minors. And I don't think there's much ceiling there. I think I said he's a fourth starter as long as he stays durable and he has been so far. But it's three pitches. He throws a lot of strikes. He pitched very well in a mid-major baseball conference. That guy should just rip through a ball, finish in double A. You know what? If he's in double A by mid-June, he probably has trade value at the end of July, too, because he looks like a major league starter who's not that far away. So I guess that's a long answer to maybe a shorter question, but I think it it does kind of depend on who's in the system um, and how far they are away from the majors in terms of how much trade value they each have individually. I wanted to jump outside of the top 20 for a quick second here. One guy who's always been really interesting to me has been Josh Mears. He has massive power. He's got a ton of bat speed, but you know his, his problem is he just strikes out a ton. And I saw mm-hmm. that that's kind of the main reason why you didn't include him in your top twenty. You know, as one of those guys, it, does he retain value? Like, like say he strikes out maybe twenty five percent of the time, or even thirty percent of the time. Does does he retain a little bit more value, or do you see him making any type of major league impact, even if he does cut down on the strikeouts? Well, you know, he was at 45% a strikeout rate last year. So if he's cutting it even to 30% or he's cutting it by a third, which would be massive and completely changes his outlook. The reason I have him not only off the top 20, but the guy identified as kind of their fallen prospect for the year is that hitters almost never do that. It's not totally unheard of. It is exceedingly rare for a hitter to cut his strikeout rate to that extent, especially when he's at a point where like where he is where he was last year. You're right about the power. The bat speed is there. Um, I think it is just such a combination of it's lack of pitch recognition. It's lack of ball strike recognition. It is poor swing decisions. It's kind of everything. It's hard to strike out that much unless it's a little bit of everything. And so my prediction for him is that he, he never has any major league value. He may surface at some point, but at best, this is, a massive overhaul in terms, actually it's less in terms of the swing mechanics and more his actual approach. It's pretty hard to forecast. Even the guys who've, who've succeeded with pretty significant changes to their approaches. I think of Austin Riley a lot because I was pretty critical of him coming up through the minors for his poor approach. And he did a lot of work with some of the Atlanta coaches and work on his own to completely change his approach to become you know, a legit back end MVP candidate. And I give him all the credit in the world because it's so hard to do that. I actually have, have had the chance to say that to him. Like, you should be proud. Most most guys can't do this. Um, even the most talented players in the world have a hard time doing something like this. And but the one difference is Riley had other success all the way up 
to at least AAA, or at least at least until he got to AAA. Mears doesn't even have that. That's what makes me so pessimistic is that it's not like he's succeeding, but he's striking out too much. He's not really succeeding, and he's striking out way too much. Guys like that just almost never work out, and it's a shame. I thought I thought he was a great pick. I thought he was a great prospect, and you know, this is one of the probably the number one issue we see with with high school position players going bust is that often we don't really have a good read on what their approach is like, even if they're, you know, it's funny. I was just talking to a, a friend of the family who's a Phillies fan and brought up Mickey Moniak. And I was like, that kid played in Southern California. And none of us, nobody realized how mediocre his pitch recognition was because that guy's facing the best high school competition in the country. Well, Mears was from the Pacific Northwest. He barely saw any of this better quality pitching. And so I don't blame the Padres for not realizing it, but that's the number one, in my opinion, the number one reason that high school position players don't work out as hitters in the minors, because we just can't really evaluate their pitch recognition as well as we would like to, or as well as we do for college players. Yeah. LaCosta Canyon was actually in our league. Uh, Sammy and I, we played the same high school together. So uh, oh, wow. we're, we're very familiar with uh, the Mickey Moniac trials because we hear all about it from uh, from other mm-hmm. rival baseball players with us. Yeah, I yeah. uh, <laughs> actually know firsthand by getting to play with him and against him. We're pretty similar in age. So, oh wow, wow, yeah, he was the that was the him and Blake Rutherford, and it was a little bit of uh, which guy do you like more? And I was Team Rutherford. Others, obviously, the Phillies were Team Moniac, and it turned out neither of them was any good. That's how the ball rolls sometimes. Um, And the Potters are hoping that's not the case with Ethan Solace. You you never mentioned him in your list. Is that just because it's too early on in the stage? I mean, he's what? He's so young. And I mean, it's kind of hard to evaluate him truly compared to the rest of the players in the system. And I don't count uh, the players who just signed as international free agents unless they are older. Like if it were somebody coming from... Cuba and PB, KBO, et cetera, because the issue with these, um, with the 16, 17 year olds is that not only are they, you know, we have almost no inf- very little information because they haven't played anywhere, uh, but often they haven't been scouted in a re- by other organizations in a long time. They've been locked up into these verbal agreements for two years and sometimes longer. Um, you know, I have heard great things on Salas. Obviously, I think it's his brother, right, who just got traded from the Marlins to the Twins. His brother is cousin Jose Salas, who's also a pretty good prospect. And you know, what I hear is Salas is a very advanced catcher, great body, great skill, good feel. People like the arm. We'll see on the bat. We think it's, you know, everyone seems to think it's there. Um, that he's got a chance to hit enough to be, you know, project your start, you're talking about solid average everyday catcher to something more. We just haven't seen him do it. And nobody outside the Padres organization has seen him do it. And I'm going to guess two years. I don't know exactly, but that's about typical for these, for the guys who get seven figure bonuses, they are typically locked up when they're 14, if not even a little younger. And so that means, and then once that happens, the trainer just pulls them from everything. They really don't play anywhere. And so we don't get a chance to, to look at them. So once they have had a chance to play, I assume he'll go to the DSL and hopefully make his debut in Arizona, maybe before the year is out and play in instructs. We'll have data. We'll have performance data. There will be a little bit of pitch data and everyone will get a chance to scout that guy. And then we'll have a much better read on, on how good he actually is. 
And kind of staying with that topic, another potential international signee uh, that could be heading to the Padres is Leo Dallas DeVries, who I think there's been some rumors, some smoke around his name the past couple of days that he might have a verbal agreement with the Padres. He hasn't uh, reached the point yet where he can actually sign with them. Uh, I was wondering if you had any information on him, if you've seen anything on him that, that could be helpful to those looking to learn a little more about him. No, he's, he's next year. Right. So I don't cover the international free agents at all, unless it were like, like I said, an MPB players coming in, whether he's under 25, over 25, et cetera. I cover those guys and the Cuban players who come over, we have a lot more information on, and they're often, they often sign much closer to the deadline, but DeVries is I'm correct, right? He's a 20, he's going to sign in January of 24. So those guys, I honestly have nothing on. And I would defer to Jesse Sanchez over at MLB who does cover that market. So I wanted to follow up a little bit after that, you know, by reading through your article, I noticed that you had uh, under the sleeper column, you had Dylan Lesko, which is, you know, understandable. He's probably going to be a top 100 guy coming up. Uh, I was wondering if you had another guy either inside the top 20 or not inside the top 20 that, you know, less people know about that you think could kind of make that next step and kind of put himself on the map, so to speak. Um, It, you know, could be someone obvious it could be someone that nobody's heard of um, i'm kind of wondering if you have a guy pinned in the padre system that you think it could be primed to take that next step this year yeah well daniel montesino the outfielder he missed all of last year due to tommy john surgery but obviously we don't care that much when it's a position player especially you know he's a corner outfielder it's fine even if his arm doesn't come back it's fine there was already talk even before that that he was going to be a left fielder or first baseman but everyone seemed to believe he can really hit of course, I haven't seen him because right? he played in the DSL a year ago and then just missed 2022 entirely. I don't even think he hit in instructs, not in games, at least. So we'll see. Um, you know, and that obviously he could turn out to be nothing with when we've got so little information on him outside of the DSL. But I know that the talk from the Padres people and from beyond was that this guy might really hit and he might just be one of those guys who hits his way to the majors, regardless of what his position is. So I do think that's, he's probably the the best candidate to make a jump like that. They do have some other kind of interesting guys. Like I mentioned, Isaiah Lowe at the very back of the top 20, he was their 11th round pick. They bought him out of Wake Forest for not a ton of money. 400,000 is not that much to get a guy out of an ACC scholarship, but he was bumping right-handed starter, good build. Not a lot of projection, but he was up to 96 before the draft. He was a little lower than that after he signed. I'll just be very curious to hear how hard he's throwing now after a full off season of rest, come into spring training in you know early to mid-March. If he's getting back up to 96, he doesn't have to sit there. But if he's, you know, say sitting two to four, bumping 96, and he's still got that curveball, he had like you know, probably a solid average curveball before the draft, um, and showed that afterwards. He'd be pretty interesting. That probably doesn't make him a top 100 guy, but makes him somebody we're talking about quite a bit more if we have the same conversation a year from now. Yeah, he's a fascinating player. And he, he, we at East Village Times have talked a lot about him and Acosta as the two guys that were kind of just raking down there in 2021. Mm-hmm. And then uh, now Acosta's gone. So our focus now is to go to Montesino, mm-hmm. who I think a lot Montesino. of Padres people are going to be wanting to watch. Uh, just a couple more questions. Thanks. Uh, thanks again, Keith. Uh, give some great insight on these guys. Uh, Garrett Hawkins, six foot five, a right-hander. And then Jackson Wolf, six foot seven, left-hander are two just massive pitchers in the Padres org. And they're ranked at 11th and 12th on your list. They weren't necessarily high draft picks, but 
are they ranked this high because of the fact that the Padres system has really thinned out or is it because they've been kind of, you know, pushing it a little bit? Both. I think, I mean, their, their size certainly works in their favor. Um, And Hawkins is the one who's got more of a chance to start. I think both of these guys, if you're betting on one outcome or the other right now, it's both more likely reliever. I feel a little better about Hawkins because um, he does need a better breaking ball, but he's got the fastball. He's got enough of a change up. Um, and the fastball really, really plays. And he makes better use of his size, I think, than Wolf does, right? You can be tall and not have a lot of deception, which always feels like a terrible waste to me. But you've got to get out over your front side. I mean, we want most pitchers to do that. But for tall guys in particular, if you finish well out front, that's what we measure with extension in the TrackMan or StackCast data. Uh, you could see that if you know what you're looking for. You want guys to finish well over their front side. They're going to get on top of the pitches more, be able to work to the lower part of the zone or below the zone more effectively, and it gives the hitter less time to respond. So these are all positives. Hawkins does that quite a bit better, better than Wolf anyway, and he has better pure stuff. I mean, Wolf is more of a... Uh, junk baller who gets some deception from a funky delivery, but that also makes it harder for him to really put the ball where he wants it. And I think limits his ceiling quite a bit more. And then uh, one last player I wanted to ask you about was Tierso Ornelas, because a lot of Padres fans uh, really like him coming from the fact that he's from Tijuana. Uh, there's Padres Raza Twitter uh, that just love players that are from Mexico. So Tierso Ornelas has been a fan favorite amongst uh, Padres fans who follow the farm system. And uh, he had a good year in double A. He's obviously been slow and progressing, at least in the eyes of a lot of Potters fans who, you know, they're used to the guys like working the way up fast. Uh, what can you tell us about Ornelas? Cause obviously he's got that smooth swing, but uh, what have uh, executives told you? Um, you know, the it's other scouts are saying, look, this guy's probably an extra outfielder. Cause he's, he, you know, he's going to got to play a corner and he doesn't have power. We all like the swing. I saw the swing when he was, they first signed him. So he would have been 16 or 17 when I first saw him. It's like, holy cow, who is that guy? I want that swing. Uh, and the swing is still like that. But he gets on the ball a little bit too much. And maybe, you know, you know, as much as we're reluctant to alter a swing that looks that good, if he's just hitting the ball hard, but on the ground too often, it's not going to work. And, you know, I think his eye is good enough for him to, you know, I'll step back for a second. There's a pretty clear way that Tirso Ornelas ends up a big league regular. It is not the most likely outcome, but because he has a decent eye, doesn't strike out excessively and hits the ball pretty hard, at least hard enough to get to some power. It is all about stop hitting the ball on the ground so much easier said than done. Obviously, particularly when you've got a guy with a swing that looks so good. I think everyone is like, wait, you can't change that, but that might be where it is. If, even if it's something as simple as where he's starting his hands and I'm not diagnosing him, I, I, I have not spent enough time watching him, particularly watching him like hit the ball on the ground, see where that is happening. That's probably what has to come next though, is some kind of, doesn't have to be an overhaul, small alterations to the swing because this guy's got to hit 15 to 20 homers a year and st- and not lose the other production that he has to be able to be a regular. I've always liked this kid. Clearly I was too high on him relative to the prospect that he has become. I still think he's going to get to the big leagues, probably bounce around as an extra guy. Maybe he gets, maybe it's somewhere else, but someone somewhere has to do something with this kid's swing, particularly just kind of the first half of it so that he is not getting on top of the ball so much and putting it on the ground. And there's lots, I mean, Brett Beatty with the Mets is one of those guys who's kind of at that. He's a star. If he just puts the ball in the air more in his month or so in the big leagues last year, he went back to the player he'd been in 2021 and was hitting the ball 
really, really hard just on the ground a lot. And there are not many guys who can succeed doing that. Um, unless you're a 70 or 80 runner, that's just not a formula for success. And Ornelas certainly is not that. Eric Hosmer too. Uh, just kidding. Yeah. We, we had to get an Eric Cosmer reference in here Absolutely. at some point during the pod. It wouldn't be an EVT Potters podcast if it was not. <laughs> um, I lied. I have one more player I want to ask you about. Not, sure. not on your list, but Jose Lopez was the player the Padres took in the Rule 5 draft from the Tampa Bay Rays. Uh, what have you heard about him? And I mean, obviously, I know you don't necessarily look at it, but is there a chance that he does stick and uh, makes the Padres opening day roster as a fireballing lefty? Yeah, I could see that. You know, he's pretty wild. I mean, that was one of those. You just you usually don't protect those guys. He's 24 this year. He walks way too many batters. Obviously, he's got a history of missing bats, which is good. Um, but I'm skeptical. I mean, I just pulled up his stats to make sure I'm citing it correctly. He walked 35 and 55 innings in double A as a 23-year-old. And age doesn't matter as much for pitchers, but like and as a pure reliever. What are the odds this guy can stick in the majors and throw enough strikes that they're not like trying to put him on a phantom injured list stint or, you know, just hiding him for mop up work. I, I understand the desire to take a kid where you just like the raw ingredients. The Padres aren't really that club anymore. You're trying to win um, and you're chasing a juggernaut. So it's fine. There's very little cost associated with taking him. You take him if he, spraying the ball all over Peoria and spring training. Fine. You just send him back. But when looking at guys, I just wrote something that's going to run later this week about uh, rookies who might have some kind of major league value this year. I, I highlighted four rule five guys and he wasn't one of them. Cause I just find it very hard to believe that they will a keep him and b use him anywhere near enough for it to matter this year. Cool. I, I think that's all from us. So, uh, are you excited for the world baseball classic? I mean, it's been six years. I know that's not something that you necessarily cover, but I mean, I think that's something that we're all, we're all excited for. I actually think it's a great event. Um, I, I love it. I don't cover it. I will pay attention to the Japanese and Korean teams in particular, because obviously some of those players will come, will come over soon. And I think for fans here, um, you know, those may be the most interesting clubs to watch just from a sort of future perspective. Um, I love I love the idea. I love what it could potentially do for the sport. I actually think the worst thing that can happen is for the United States to win um, because we're not trying to, that event is not to market the game inside the United States. Like, that's just never going to happen, right? It's not going to make people within the U S more interested in baseball. The idea is to get the rest of the world more interested in baseball. And um, you know, whether it's Japan, Korea, Dominican Republic, whoever, anybody else winning, I think is, is a positive for the sport. And I also think it's great to see like, check team qualified okay they'll probably just get wiped out of the next round but so what like that kind of thing especially if it generates just a little attention back in their country maybe it encourages a few more kids to play the sport growing up and that's what events like this should really be about is just trying to grow the sport on an international basis and i hope that i'm glad it's back because at the time of the pandemic there's certainly a concern that we weren't going to see the world baseball classic again but it seems very clear to me that major league baseball is committed to it and you know i will be out doing other stuff but i'll be paying attention and i will certainly be especially curious like i said when those two teams from east asia are playing because we're going to see a couple of those guys maybe come over soon and it's a lot of guys i just don't have a ton of history with 
Cool. Yeah, no, I'm excited for it. So once again, thank you for joining us on the East Village Times podcast. Keith, uh, your returning guest, uh, senior baseball writer for The Athletic, uh, wrote the Padres prospect list, which once again, we will link in both the podcast and in our description on eastvillagetimes.com. Thank you, Keith. Uh, Enjoy the rest of your day. My pleasure. That was our conversation with senior baseball writer Keith Law of The Athletic. Uh, really interesting conversation. We'll, we'll obviously talk about uh, Manny Machado and Cole Hamels uh, in a little bit and some other Padres news. But uh, what did you make of what he talked about in the Padres prospects? Yeah, so there were a couple of things that stuck out to me. As I asked him during the podcast, when we interviewed him, he he has Sammy Zavala ranked a lot higher than I think just about every other prospect ranker yeah, has. He's the only one with top 100. Yeah, exactly. I think a lot of other prospect rating systems have him in the top five of Padres prospects, but not as high as Keith had him. So it was interesting listening to him about, you know, especially about how aggressive that the Padres are being with him. He finished last season in low A. You have to imagine he probably starts in low A this year, moves up to high A. He's someone that is now kind of strongly on my radar as someone to follow, not just another guy. I think that he has real potential. He's still really young. He's only 18 years old. And so I'm going to be curious to kind of follow him this year and see if he can take that next step. Um, the, the other guy that Keith mentioned that is another kind of bigger name guy is Dylan Lesko. He hasn't thrown a professional pitch for the Padres yet. He had Tommy John surgery in April of last year, right before he got drafted. Um, he's someone that's going to stick out to me. Just I'm curious more than anything to see how he bounces back from Tommy John surgery. Right. I, I think that we're all kind of curious about it. I think it was interesting Keith talking about how he has such a devastating changeup and that's kind of his put away pitch. And you rarely see guys lose a changeup after Tommy John surgery. It'll be interesting to see if he still has that high spin curveball that Keith mentioned is that's a little bit more test to to see if he, you know, loses that or if he has the that prior spin but those are two guys that i'm probably going to be following pretty closely based on kind of keith's write-up of both of them and I, i'm really curious to see what uh the scouts are saying about my changeup in comparison to dylan lesko's because i i've talked about it on the podcast i had a killer changeup he can't throw 70 he called it his words not our words because sammy and i know because we've played against those people best high school baseball competition in the country you can't throw 70 miles an hour at the varsity level and have a sub three ERA if you don't have a killer changeup. So I should have been high. I should have been scouted better. And so should have you. A um, Bugs Bunny changeup. <laughs> yeah, man, it just dropped off the table. This happens when it only goes 62, 63 miles an hour. But enough about me and enough about uh, all this talk uh, about Manny Machado. He's going to opt out. We, we've said it on the podcast. If you're surprised, by those comments from Manny Machado that he is going to opt out of his contract. I really don't know what to tell you. I mean, if you've listened to the podcast, you should have a pretty good idea. This was going to happen. The fact that the Padres on his contractor and I'm going to pay him five years, one fifty, like you said, that's what they paid for. And in fact, I'd consider that a bargain for the Padres. The suck that the Padres are going to have to pay him more money. Yeah. Does he deserve that money? Absolutely. And Peter Seidler, said today in a media avail- availability that Manny's is number one priority. So I don't think Padres fans have to be like too scared that he's going to leave. He's going to opt out if he finishes the season without a new contract, but 
there are more concerns now that you've actually heard it come out of his mouth and it's not just speculation. Yeah. And there's a couple of things that like this whole situation has kind of showed me and that I, you know, it's kind of provoked in me is, I mean, first of all, like you kind of want players to opt out, right? If they're opting out, it means they're overperforming what they're being paid. And I think, and I don't think anyone would argue that Manny has performed above that $30 million threshold that he's been getting every year. I think that it's pretty obvious that he's overperformed the five years and 150 million that he's just gotten. And I think, like you said, he could get a massive contract on the free agent market. I think he could honestly get double that. I think he could get another 10 year, $300 million contract. And that's kind of where it sounds like the baseline would be at least. I I know that there have been some rumors swirling around that he asked for 10 years and 400 million that was refuted, but you have to figure he's asking for somewhere in the 10 to 12 years range and a baseline price of 300 million. And so, yeah, that that's a lot of money. I, I, he does have a lot of good leadership qualities. I would love to see Manny Machado in the Padres Brown and gold for the rest of his career. But at the same time, if he, if his asking price is too high, it's not the end of the world, right? It's not like that $30 million isn't going to be spent. Uh, I, I look at it almost as another opportunity to go out and spend on another player, whether that be, you know, getting aggressive for Juan Soto, whether that be making a, you know, throwing a huge bag of money at Shohei Otani. I think it's exciting to think about those other possibilities. That being said though, I would love to see Manny as a Padre for the rest of his career. Yeah. And you, you mentioned in our group chat at East Village times, like sending him that quote graphic that Bally sports made from his comments on Ben and Woods just about a year ago, where he's like, I'm going to be a Padre till I'm 37. I mean, you, you got to take in mind what the Padres players say to the Padres radio network. Like, no, 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 not a shot at them, but like, they're not going to say their, their true thoughts. Like they, they know who they're talking to when they say those things on radio, that is the Padres flagship station. So I, I wasn't too surprised. And I mean, like there were always those thoughts after he had, two MVP caliber seasons when he finished third in 2020. And then he got a good chunk of votes uh, following his 2021 season. But then when you parlay that with being the MVP runner up and basically carrying a team to the playoffs and then a said team goes all the way to the NLCS, you're going to see his true value come out. And there, there's no way, there's no reason that he should be playing past next year on a five-year $150 million contract when he saw what Xander Bogarts got paid, when he saw what Trey Turner got paid, when he saw what Aaron Judge got paid. No reason. I mean, it's pretty much a no-brainer, and he basically just confirmed what most people knew was going to happen. And yeah, it's a good thing. He he played well to his contract. They put the opt-out in there to say, hey, like, if if he is this guy like that certainly incentivized him to come to the Padres and it also incentivizes you know good performance because you can go get some more money and he's not locked into that contract because I mean I'm sure that MVP sports group foresaw something similar to this once the CBA agreement uh, closed at following the last offseason knowing that contracts were going to go higher so you know put that opt-out in shortly thereafter and Manny Machado is going to get paid because 
say they put the opt-out in after four years, well, he's in that pool with those guys and it's not as competitive, but they put the opt-out in after this year where it's nowhere near as competitive and they now have those baselines to go off of. Also, Manny Machado has got an insane payday coming forward. And I mean, you you alluded to it. Would you rather give Manny Machado? I think the 10 years, 400 million, like it was refuted in the, the Bob Nightingale report, uh, classic Bob Nightingale, at least uh, on Twitter or so. Uh, his reports got proven false. Trevor Bauer to the Mets uh, is the classic one there. But would you rather, you know, give a big contract to Juan Soto, who's much younger than Manny Machado or throw a bag. I think that's how you said it uh, at Shohei Otani, because of course he is as good of a hitter as Manny Machado and he also pitches. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, right? All three of those cases are really interesting cases. I don't know about you, but I personally would have a walk away number for Manny's negotiations. I'd set it at around 350 million over 10 years. If he wants really much more than that, I would let him go to the free agent market. Hey, go to New York. Steve Cohen will give you that. I, you know, as much as Padres fans might disagree, I think that those resources could be better allocated elsewhere if his ask is exceedingly high. And I mean, most indications are that Manny wants to remain in San Diego, regardless yeah. of what he's been saying to the media recently. I think you kind of have to assume that San Diego is his preferred destination. But if he's asking for an exceedingly high amount of money, then you start to look elsewhere. And personally, if you look at the 24-year-old Juan Soto versus the 30, soon to be 31-year-old Manny Machado, I think the smart business decision is giving Juan Soto 15 years and 500 million or some you know, absurd amount because he's younger, because he's arguably has a higher ceiling, maybe even has a higher floor. I think he's just, he's genuine, he's generally the better player, but then you take into account Manny's leadership abilities that he has, you know, his ties to San Diego are much more strong than Soto's are. And that kind of goes to, towards the point that, you know, if you let Manny walk and you say, okay, we're going to go after Soto now, there's no guarantee that Soto is going to take your money. He might just say, I'm not going to, I'm not interested in extension. I'm going straight to the open market and you might have to live with that. And so that's kind of the up and downs to letting Manny walk versus renegotiating with them. If you make a strong attempt to re-sign Manny after this offseason, you'll guarantee at least 2023 and 2024 with Tatis, Soto, Machado, and Bogarts. But if you let Manny walk, then there's, you know, you could be left with just Tatis and Bogarts after 2024 if you swing and miss and so on Soto and Otani. So there's a lot of moving parts to it. I if I had to make a prediction, I'd say that Manny does re-sign and he signs somewhere in that 300 to 350 million dollar category between I don't know 10 and 12 years. I'm curious to hear your walk away number 2 cuz I I mean I'd assume that you have one, you know, I I'd assume that you would walk away at a certain point. <laughs> yeah, it's probably over 350 million. I mean, I I I don't know how much more you can reasonably pay him considering the amount of money that you're paying other players and also what you can pay Juan Soto, who is wearing a Potter's uniform and you have the chance to offer him that money before he hits free agency, as opposed to all the other teams. Cause I mean, you know, the other 29 teams and I'll include the Washington nationals who traded him will line up to pay him because he is that good. And he has that much potential still the NL MVP favorite, uh, despite having a, 
down year and it was hilarious uh tom verducci was on mlb network the other night which i can no longer watch because youtube tv does not carry it shout out youtube tv losers um and he was showing the uh his woba and ex woba comparisons i mean they are it's insane like how unlucky he got over the course of the season and over the course of the postseason especially the postseason he's going to be a stud this year and if the padres Continue to talk with Manny like they say they are still negotiating and Manny Manny says he has that date, but I mean, he could just be saying that for negotiation's sake to try and get the Padres to throw more money at him. That's just how it works, especially with the public. He's using the public and so is Peter Seidler. I mean, like, that's how these negotiations work and Manny Machado has earned the right to do that with the Padres media and the Padres media is going to do that because they know how many people are going to click on their stories because Padres fans care deeply and they care deeply about Manny Machado. So I think 350 million is is my number two. Uh, I also would agree that he probably will end up being a Padre. Is that whether he's going to hit free agency and then sign that contract or if he signs an extension and then they remove the opt-out? I'm not sure, but I'd imagine it's going to get done. But it, it, yeah. it'll be a fun thing to watch during the season. And I think that when you look at it, the future of the Padres is very up in the air. It could be even better than what it seems right now, but it could be worse because Machado could walk. Soto could walk. Fernando Tatis Jr. has his injury issues. Who knows? There's a lot of uncertainty. That's why the Padres have to put their best foot forward this year. Yeah. And, and Peter Seidler for, to his credit has, whenever asked about it, he's kind of affirmed the notion that they're going to be carrying a higher payroll indefinitely going forward. This isn't, it doesn't sound like it's a two or three year thing where this is our window. If we win a world series in this window, mission accomplished, we're just going to tear it all down again. It sounds like they're going to be spending for the foreseeable future. And so there is a little bit of comfort in that, knowing that if you lose Manny or if you lose Soto or if you lose both, that someone's going to take their money eventually. They're going to throw a lot of money at someone. And, and you know, a, a microcosm of that is kind of how this offseason played out. They threw $342 million at Trey Turner. He said no. They were rumored to be ready to give Aaron Judge over $4 million, $400 million, and he said no. And so there's you know, they went to Xander Bogarts. Okay. We'll give you 11 years, 280 million. We'll give you double what the next team is offering. And he took it and they're going to have an impact player for the next 11 seasons. You know, you, you hope that half of those seasons are actual like high impact, but yeah, it's, it's encouraging to know that they're going to be aggressive going forward. And, and so that kind of gives me a little bit of comfort in the fact that even if they don't retain the guys that they have now, they're going to go get new guys. And, and that's kind of what we've seen over the past couple of years, right? Like they went out and got you Darvish and Blake Snell and Joe Musgrove all within a month because they ran out of pitching in the 2020 postseason. And so uh, as long as AJ Preller is there, as long as Peter Seidler has ownership, you know, as long as they're signing off on these big expenditures, uh, I'll feel fairly comfortable, fairly comfortable that the Padres will be able to put a winning product out there. Yeah, I will be too. And I, the Padres are continuing to replenish the farm system, which I think is a positive development. It's obviously never going to be back to where it once was considering what AJ Preller's philosophies have become build up the farm system, use it to make this team and is now using it continually to 
continue to hopefully make the team better. So uh, I think the Manny Machado thing, it's going to be fascinating to follow and see if Machado comes down from his offer a little bit, if Peter continues to offer him more money. But funny enough, I am in a fantasy baseball league with a bunch of Phillies fans just because one of my good friends out here is uh, is from Philly. And they were slandering uh, Peter Seidler because John Middleton has like spent a lot of money. And I'm like, you can slander any of the Padres that you want just because, but you cannot slander Peter Seidler because he's literally been everything the Padres have wanted. And he's just he's putting a good product on the field. That's all Padres fans have ever wanted. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, you and I were, were still pretty young. We're in our early twenties. We weren't really around for, you know, we were pretty young, I should say during like the Morad and Morris years in the, in the late two thousands, early 2010s and into that period. So it's refreshing to kind of wash that away and kind of bring in this new era where, yeah, the Padres are perennially going to be one of the biggest spenders on the market. They're going to piss off most of the other owners in baseball, with the exception of a few, like you mentioned, who are going to be spending right up there with them. But yeah, it's fun. It, it makes it so much more exciting, not only to watch them on the field, but just to kind of follow them in the news, because you never know what they're going to do. They're always going to make some sort of big splash. They're going to do something crazy. You know, they've traded for Juan Soto and Josh Hader within a week of each other. It's it's exciting. It's so much more fun to be a fan of this team than it was to be a fan of the 2016 and 2017 Padres teams that were, you know, given Alex, Alex Dickerson, 400 at bats or running Edinson Volquez out as their opening day starters, you know, things like that. It's just more fun. Yeah. You're going to make my blood boil. Uh, just making me think back to those teams and how much we used to get made fun of in a uh, middle school and at Canyon Crest. Oh, why are you a Padres fan? I, because it's the local team and now yeah. everyone's there. Uh, but we were, we've always been fans, so we can hold that to ourselves. Uh, other signing this week for the San Diego Padres was Cole Hamels signing a minor league deal that will pay him $2 million if he makes the Padres major league roster. And then there's an additional $2 million in incentives. I mean, Rancho Bernardo guy, very old, obviously uh, pitched for the Phillies in the late 2000s was a part of that. Team that made a couple World Series, uh, won the NL East pretty consistently, and then jumped around with the Rangers, a couple other teams. Hasn't pitched in baseball since the 2020 season. I mean, can we expect anything from Cole Hamels? I don't think so. I mean, yeah, like you said, he's pretty old. He hasn't pitched in the majors since 2020. I don't even know the last time he pitched effectively in the majors. Um, he's his fastball is going to be working in the high eighties. He's going to go to El Paso and I will be pleasantly surprised if he makes an appearance for the Padres this year. I don't think that there's really any way that he gets up. I think he's below multiple guys in AAA on that, you know, next man up depth chart. I think you'd argue that Ryan Weathers and Jay groom and maybe even Julio Tehran are ahead of him for first guys to be called up. If something Wilmer font too. Yeah. Maybe even Wilmer font. I, I don't know. I think it is kind of admirable that he's still chasing it though, that he's still trying to maybe find something and, and pitch in the major leagues again. But I think if he does 
find his way into the major league rotation. It's either going to be because he pitched so well at El Paso that he discovered something or that there have been so many injuries at the major league level that they're just out of contention and they just need warm bodies. Yeah. I mean, if you would consider like pitching adequately in the major leagues, he had a 116 uh, ERA plus in 2019. I mean, it was kind of crazy how just quickly he kind of fell off because you look at it, he had an above average season every single year since 2010. And then in 2020, he only pitched three innings in one game with the Braves and he hasn't pitched in major league baseball since then. So I don't know. It seemed like there were a lot of teams that were interested in him. And obviously the Padres offering him $2 million if he ends up making the majors. And then there are some more incentives there. Surely that uh, alerted him. And it's also another one of those deals for the Padres that they're attempting to try and stay under that third luxury tax hold threshold, but they will go above it if they feel they need to. And if Cole Hamels is a reason for that, you know, replacing possibly an injured Seth Lugo, Nick Martinez, any one of those start, starting pitchers, who knows? But I'd say there's a 0% chance he makes the opening day roster. It seems you agree with me on that. And I'd be very surprised to see him pitching in a role for the San Diego Padres this year. But still cool. It's felt like this was going to happen for a little bit. I mean, especially once uh, he was a free agent following the 2019 season. The Potters maybe needed a couple more arms. They ended up getting that on Zach Davies and then ultimately Mike Clevenger. Um, it just never perspired until now. But, I mean, I think it's cool. I think he'll look really good in Potters Brown and Gold and surely some spring training game out here this, uh, this spring. But he's not going to do much for the Padres. If he does, that's awesome. He's a really cheap arm then. Yeah. And kind of going off that now that spring training camps have ramped up, games are starting on Friday. Do you think they're done in terms of making a move? I mean, obviously they signed Waka and the structuring of that deal makes me think that they were doing it to stay under the final luxury tax threshold. Um, I, I think they're like one or 2 million. They're really close to it. They're like a couple million below it. So, you know, jerks and Profar is still out there. There's still a couple of impact ish players out there who could fit a bench role for this team. Do you think they're done or do you think they still have one move, one significant move, I should say that they're going to make before opening day? I think they are done. There's no way. I mean, unless if jerks and Profar and Scott Boris have completely misread the market that jerks and Profar is going to get paid enough money to come play on the bench for the Padres. Cause if he's going to leave all of a sudden, I think he's probably only going to get a one-year deal and it's going to be another prove it year deal. And it's unfortunate for him because he would have got $7 million to play left field for the Padres this year. Or I don't know what the, the role would have been because you know, all of a sudden are Fernando Tatis Jr. coming to the outfield. I just don't think it lines up, but uh, they they have seemingly the bench players, Nelson Cruz slash Matt Carpenter kind of being the DH as O'Carr also being an outfielder. Uh, you got a couple of infielders in the mix as well. I just don't think there is much for the Potters to add at this point. They have established pitching depth. We just talked about Cole Hamels, Teheran, Font. Uh, Jay Groom, Ryan Weathers. Weathers also looked, uh, in my opinion, a lot better just in that one video that I saw from Bob Scanlon on Twitter. His delivery actually looked like he was using his legs. 
I, I remember uh, when I was at the game in Arizona where he started and he got hurt and I was watching him in the bullpen. I'm like, man, it looks like he's using all arm. And then he left in the second inning. I'm like, well, you know, maybe I was right. I obviously don't know that much about pitching mechanics and whatnot, but uh, I can see it a little bit. So uh, Ryan Weathers could be an option for the Padres this year. Who knows? But I, I don't think they really need that much more pitching. And if they do, it's not going to be anything significant, which is kind of what you were uh, alluding at. Yeah. I, I think they're probably done. If I had to say, I, I think they're, like you said, their roster is pretty filled out. There's really not many holes that they have to fill, especially when you consider that Tatis is going to be back after 20 games and hopefully he's performing at a high enough level to where you feel comfortable with, with the guys that you have in your lineup. I think the one position that has kind of become more of a problem as the more that I've looked at it is catcher. You have Austin Nola, you have Luis Camposano, and then after that you have a cliff and there's really no alternative. There's no third guy that they could turn to really. I think for most of last season, it was Nola and Jorge Alfaro. You still had Camposano kind of wasting away in AAA, but now Camposano is going to be forced to come up to the major league level. He's going to have to catch games, right? As reluctant as they are seemingly to let him catch games, he's going to have to be that second guy, at least to start. But if one of them gets hurt, then you're looking at Pedro Severino or Brett Sullivan or, you know, guys that you don't want to have on a major league roster. And so someone who stuck out to me a little bit, just as kind of an interesting flyer is Gary Sanchez. I don't think they would take a shot at him. I think he'd probably want more money than they're willing to pay for him to be a third catcher. Or, you know, I, I think they'd prefer to have Austin Nolan, Luis Camposano, than including Sanchez in that just because of how much he's going to make, but he's an interesting guy to consider. And as you know, the longer he sits out there, the lower the price comes. I don't think he would accept going to triple a. I also really want to see Camposano at the major league level, but it's interesting because I don't know if we can count on Austin Nola for another 110 games. Like we did last year, he was hurt for a lot of 2021. He's a year older this year. So I think they're going to have to do something at the catching position because it seems inevitable that they're going to require a third catcher at some point in the season. Yeah, that's a good point. And certainly the health of Austin Nola is going to be another storyline that we need to follow. I remember the like very noticeable knee brace that you could see through the Padres pants during the 2021 season. You're like, man, is this really the best option? The Padres have a catcher right now. It's a concern to say the least. And yeah, they might add a catcher. Gary Sanchez is certainly interesting. And uh, we played a dude in our slow pitch softball championship last night, wearing a Gary Sanchez uh, t-shirt and, he wasn't very good and we won the championship. No big deal. Got my championship t-shirt was a lot, lot of fun, but I, I think that that could be a reasonable option. I was shocked to see Luke Voigt sign a minor league deal. Yeah. I think there are guys that are kind of realizing that, Hey, I can sign these minor league deals, go prove it myself and have a ton of incentives. And like, you know, maybe if you have like a $3 million base or a $2 million base, like Cole Hamels does, if you make the majors, I mean, if those guys really believe in themselves, go sign that contract. But yeah, the, there's there's going to be concerns at catcher. I think Severino is kind of signed as that third catcher. But like you said, don't want to trust him. He's defensive liability, doesn't hit righties very well. And as we all know, most pitchers in baseball are right-handed. So I think Campusano is going to get a good workload. 
seemed like they started to trust him a little bit more as the year went along. And I think that's important. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is interesting though, that, that Severino does hit lefties fairly well. It's just, you know, unfortunate that all of the catchers that they have are, you know, they hit right-handed um, left-handed hitting catchers are, you know, it, seems to be very, very rare at this point. Yes. See maybe a couple of them scattered throughout the league, but yeah, I, I think catcher is a position that you definitely have to look at and say, okay, if we're not going to make an upgrade now, then there's a chance that we're going to have to make an upgrade in the future. And catcher is an expensive position to upgrade too. If you're talking about trading for someone at the deadline or something like that, because none of the guys on the free agent market right now are going to make it impact behind the plate. So that's something that I think is worth following at least for the couple months of a uh, couple months, first couple months of the season. Yeah. Another thing that, uh, that happened is Nick Martinez got reinstated to the United States world baseball classic roster. Uh, I think it's really cool. Nick Martinez does get to represent team USA. Nestor Cortez had an injury. Clayton Kershaw had to back out. Uh, the rumor was that there was some insurance issue, which is weird, but uh, I don't know. It's Clayton Kershaw. I was really bummed because I was actually looking forward to rooting for Clayton Kershaw, but I guess I have to root against him again. But uh, Nick Martinez, who was supposed to be a reliever for that team, uh, but said no because I'm going to focus on starting, now gets to rejoin the roster as a starter. He may not pitch for them. But uh, I think it's a really cool opportunity for him. He's going to start the first Padres spring training game on Friday, be followed by a couple other Padres pitchers who they could extend out. Uh, what do you make of that for Nick Martinez? It'll be fun to watch him. Uh, you know, we talked, I think, one or two podcasts ago about how there were no American Padres players that were playing in the World Baseball Classic, and now there is. So that that's fun. You'll get to root for him uh, when he does play for them. As long as he's building up properly and as long as, you know, he, him, he and the Padres and Team USA believe that he can be built up adequately as a starter during the competition, I think it's totally fine. I don't think that as long as he's getting his innings somewhere, I think that it, it it's a good thing for him and he'll get some competitive starters innings as opposed to maybe just getting a couple innings out in Arizona or, you know, pitching on a backfield one day or something. Um, so it's kind of a double-edged sword because he, you know, he, he's probably gonna have a little more adrenaline. He's going to be a little more ramped up. He's going to want to throw harder, might increase injury risk a little bit, but I think overall there's not too much to look into other than the fact that it'll be fun to watch him compete for them. Yeah, I agree. You got uh, anything else that we should talk about? I think it's about it. Yeah. Like you said, first spring training game starts on Friday and then we kind of just run from there for the next month. I know myself, you and James will be covering a lot of spring training on the podcast and through eastvillagetimes.com. So we're excited for that. We're excited for Padres games to finally start up again, because really for the bulk of, you know, re reviving this podcast has been a lot of speculation, a lot of off-season storylines, that kind of thing. So I'm excited to actually talk about real Padres baseball that is happening instead of hypothetical hypothetical scenarios but yeah it should be a fun run up to opening day and then once the season gets started then it's all fun from there yep we'll have that next week and i think i'm actually going to be at that first game on friday because someone tweeted that the like main padres players are going to get a lot of playing time early because they'll be going to the wbc and i'm like all right well then i guess i should head out there so uh i'm excited like you said you're excited james is 
excited as we know and he'll be back with us hopefully on the next episode but for that we will wrap up episode 168 of the Padres East Village Times podcast make sure to find Sammy James and I on Twitter Uh, make sure to follow and subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a future episode and also make sure to continue to check out eastvillagetimes.com we've got SDSU basketball coverage as that's wrapping up uh, soccer seasons coming around. So that will be exciting as well for both the loyal and the wave. And of course, pottery season is coming around and we'll have coverage for you on the daily. So make sure to check out our content at eastvillagetimes.com and also follow us on Twitter at EVT underscore news. We hope to catch you on the next podcast.